Good morning, everyone. Who is Bob Barker? <laughs> well, somebody's going to have to tell me or I can't go to the senior brunch. <laughs> For just a moment, I want to say thank you. I think I speak on behalf of all of the guys who have had a chance to share God's word with you this summer. We are grateful for the opportunity. We appreciate so much your prayer and support. But we're all excited to see Todd back here next Sunday. <laughs> and to hear what God has done in his life during this sabbatical. If you will, please turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 7. A familiar passage for many, I'm sure. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24. Please follow along as I read. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell. And great was its fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Before we look at this passage together, let's take time to pray for our study. Father, we thank you for the journey that we have taken this summer through the Sermon on the Mount, a great sermon from the heart and the lips of Jesus. I pray, Father, that along the way, we have learned lessons and applied those lessons to our lives. As we finish this morning, may we be encouraged and may we be mourned. Now, Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart will be acceptable in your sight. You who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Late on Sunday evening, August 17th, 1969, a Category 4 5 hurricane, Camille, made landfall on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Camille's gusts were so strong that it blew the wind gauge equipment, and experts estimate the winds at 200 plus miles an hour. Parts of the Gulf experienced tides of more than 24 feet. Our home was located eight miles north of the Gulf in Gulfport, Mississippi. Barbara and our four children rode out the storm with a neighbor. 
while I was 7,000 miles away serving with the United States Air Force at Osan Air Base, Korea. Within just a few days, Barbara contacted the Red Cross. They coordinated with the Air Force, and I was on my way home to be with my family. When the dust had cleared and cleanup had progressed, we had an opportunity to travel down Highway 90 that parallels the Gulf. Believe me, the devastation was horrible. Old homes that had been there for centuries were gone, wiped off of their foundation. Then people began to tell stories, their stories, the local news and radio and on the newspaper. Stories of damage and destruction and death. Over 250 people died as a result of that hurricane. Stories of tragedy and fear and panic, but also stories of hope and help and heroism. Those stories brought reality to what we had just looked, on, looked at after it had all happened. They were informative and compelling. Jesus was a master storyteller. So it doesn't surprise me as he closes out his Sermon on the Mount, he tells us a story. It's called a parable. A parable comes from two words that mean to cast alongside. So a parable is a story in which some familiar situation is cast alongside the unfamiliar to make an illustration, to make a point, to make the unfamiliar clear and easier for us to grasp. In concluding the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus offered two choices to his listeners. They were now responsible for what they had heard and must make a choice. They could build on one of two foundations, bedrock or sand. Last week, we saw two courses of action that are possible. Two kinds of roads, two kinds of trees and fruit. Now this week, we have two kinds of foundations. The foundation determines the ability of the structure to withstand the elements. So Jesus begins by telling us that we need to build our life on a strong foundation. Sermon on the Mount, Jesus expressed concern over housing. <laughs> that shouldn't surprise us. He was a carpenter after all. He built furniture in Joseph and, Joseph and Son's carpentry in Nazareth. It was possible he built homes as well. Jesus knew something about building what was solid and what was shoddy. So at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, this carpenter preacher talked about a sensible and a stupid builder. He compares and contrasts two uh, builders, one wise, the other foolish. I think there's some similarities in the homes they were building. First, they were building permanent houses. They weren't building tool sheds or putting up tents. They were building a home that they could live in, raise their children, and maybe pass on to their children. Second, they were probably building similar dwellings. Jesus didn't put any emphasis on the difference of the houses, the different design. For all we know, they could be the same blueprints, same windows, same doors, whatever. 
but the foundations were different. And although that difference was not obvious, it was fundamental to that home. One man's house was built on bedrock, the other on sand. It seems like a scene from the theater of the absurd. It's difficult to imagine anyone who would build their house on sand. But wait a minute. Jesus isn't really talking about building a house, is he? (laughs) He's talking about building a life. He's giving a lesson on how to build a life, establishing values and determining priorities and adopting a worldview, charting a course to follow. We can have lots of pictures about building a life, but Jesus chose the picture of building a house. Everyone's building a house of some sort or another. Just not made up of bricks and wood and mortar. All of us have a foundation on our lives. Something on which we build. It may not be much more than shifting sand, but hopefully it's bedrock. Some people build their lives on possessions, how much they own, how many investments they have, the cars they drive. Their life is built on what they have. Some build their lives on passions, (laughs) the uh, satisfaction of uh, desire. Some build their lives on positions. They build their lives on what is eternal. All of us are building according to some plan. We don't build randomly. Jesus had a building code. He said, when you want to build a home, you need to go to Bedrock Bedrock Builders, Inc. I kind of blew that one. (laughs) So he says, therefore, as uh, Carrie Gilbert likes to say, we need to know what that therefore is there for. Therefore looks back at the entire sermon, I believe. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who has built his home or his house upon a rock. These words of mine represent all that Jesus has taught in this sermon. It's interesting that James has a similar view of acting on the word of God. Turn in your Bible to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I want to look for just a few moments at James chapter 1, beginning at verse 22. James chapter 1, verse 22. But prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not merely hearers. Your translation may say listeners. Hearers who delude themselves. Or if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does." I would agree with James. I think that one of the great delusions in the Christian community today is the idea that thinking and knowing the Word of God uh, from study or memorization is the same as doing the Word of God. 
that word translated hearer or listener was used to describe a person in the ancient world who came to hear a speaker and, or to hear a concert and just, didn't, just sit there and, and, and enjoy it. We get our word auditor from that word. If you went to Texas Tech and you wanted to get some information about a class, but you didn't want to do all of the stuff, you would audit that class. And the person who's auditing a class is the most relaxed person in the class. No assignments, no papers, no tests. All I get is information. Hearers of the word. He goes on to talk about the mirror of the word of God, I believe. You have a choice to make when you look in a mirror. You can either accept it or reject it. I think it's interesting that James uses for the word for man, the word for man, not mankind, which include men and women. I don't want to get in trouble here, but for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his, the face of his birth, his natural face in the mirror, and once he has looked at himself, gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. I, I, I don't want to get in trouble. I'm just saying, I think guys have a habit of doing this. Where women may not. They see something wrong, a gravy stain on their shirt, and they rub their cover up and go on their way. Instead of changing their shirt. Don't be a hearer of the word of God, James says, but be a doer of the word of God. And he closes with an interesting take. He said, the blessing comes not in the hearing, but in the doing. I can assure you that back when I was doing this occasionally, more occasionally than now, people would say, that was really a blessing. I really, really appreciated what you had, and I liked it. It's good to be affirmed. But James says the blessing doesn't come in the hearing. It comes tomorrow morning when you do what you heard on Sunday morning. Back to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, James has said, hearing the word of God must be doing the word of God. And I think that Jesus agrees as well. Many religious people deceive themselves into believing that knowing the Bible is the same as obeying the Bible. Memorizing Scripture is the same as applying them. And believing the doctrines of Jesus is the same as practicing them. Jesus and James both say, not so. Not so. To hear the Word of God is essential. But to do it is to know it. Hearing Jesus' words gives us information and the wisdom we need for the direction to navigate our lives. But we need to act upon those words. And to make that happen, Jesus makes it clear in the sermon, we need to know our desperate need of God. We must go to him to supply that need. We must know that we are dependent upon God. And we must be obedient as well. Talks about a foundation. What is the foundation? Well, Jesus is the foundation. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, 
which is Jesus Christ. And if you're taking notes, jot down not only 1 Corinthians 3.16, but Isaiah 28, verse 16, and 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. But in the context of this story that Jesus tells, it's Jesus, and by extension, Jesus' words that are acted upon, that become the foundation. Jesus said, those who hear the words that I speak and practice them build wisely. You build a life on a foundation of hearing and acting upon his words. Verse 25 says, and, and, doesn't say if, it says and. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. We are all building and what we are building as a life will be tested. Not in the sunshine, but in the storm. We all have our foundations tested, all of us both the wise builder and the foolish builder, both the Christian and the atheist. We all are exposed to the storms of life. Christians don't get a free pass. God doesn't pamper his people. Jesus doesn't pull any punches. Storms will come and you won't be spared. Sometimes the storm is a crushing personal loss. You may lose a job that provides not only an income, but your sense of self-worth. You may have made some investments and the market goes belly up and you've lost a lot, a lot of what you were looking forward to. We can just look across the Pacific to Hawaii this past week and Maui. Folks who have lost everything. I, I, I was interested to uh, hear an interview uh, of a pastor who lost his home and his church and wasn't sure if he'd lost any of his flock, but he still had faith in God. He was trusting in God who was his rock and his redeemer. Sometimes the storms that we face have to do with family issues. A wavered child a spouse who's unfaithful and wants to end a marriage relationship. Family hostilities. Some years ago, I was talking to one of our children. They were in a college and career class, and we were commenting about family. And He made the point that no one in that group that he knew, whether they were single or married, had a good relationship with siblings or their parents. And I thought, how, how, how sad. How sad. Sometimes the storm that hammer our lives are related to sickness and death. Things that come upon us that we didn't expect that are, are painful and may or may not lead to death. Or sometimes when we lose a loved one suddenly. Times like these reveal our foundation. Jesus' words are not protection from the storms of life. Their protection in the storms of life. The application of God's word, I believe Jesus is saying, brings stability during tough times. This summer, we've learned 
we've listened as Jesus taught his disciples what it means to be a beatitude believer, a kingdom disciple, and we've been challenged. We've been challenged to act on and live out the lessons Jesus taught. My prayer for each of us as we close out this morning is that the Spirit of God has prompted you in some area where you need to make a course correction. You're involved in making that course correction as we speak. Because that's what it means to hear the Word of God and to act upon it. Jesus goes from pointing out that some houses will stand to the fact that some houses will fall. The storms of life reveal a difference in the house's foundation. I must admit, it's been a while since I was in the sermon or in the Gospel of Matthew, and so when I got this assignment and I looked at this closing, I thought, wow. Jesus' message is to his disciples. Here's how you're to live in a life that is pleasing to me. It comes from the heart. But on that hillside, he also knew that there were those who had never made a commitment to him as Messiah. They were not part of the kingdom. They were not true disciples. And he wanted them to know the peril they were in. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rains came down, the storms rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. We're all building. We're all building our lives and we don't do it randomly. And these two builders stand in stark contrast to one another. One heard Jesus' words and acted on them. He is called wise. Second, heard the very same thing, but it stopped there. He is called foolish, sometimes translated a moron. The Sermon on the Mount ends with a severe note of judgment. I don't like that. I don't think you do as well. We like sermons that uh, end positively, uh, upbeat note that send us away feeling good about ourselves. We talked last week about false teachers. False teachers who avoid scare words like holiness and judgment and sin and hell. They are false teachers because Jesus doesn't avoid, avoid, avoid this kind of language. The pointed message of the danger, the peril that some folks are in. In chapter 5, verse 22 in the sermon, in the section where we looked at murder and anger, he said there's within that anger the possibility of going to hell. It's 
called Gehenna. It comes from the Valley of Hinnom that, that was on the south and east side of Jerusalem. It was the garbage dump. <laughs> they threw everything in there. And it burned day and night, 24-7. And it became a picture of hell. In the sermon, Jesus mentions two doors, two roads, two voices. Those who chose the broad way would lead to destruction. False prophets and their fruit was like refuse, like branches that would be thrown in the fire and burned a picture of judgment. And these words are capped by the words in this paragraph. A man who hears Jesus' words but does not practice them. To a house that will be shattered and pulverized and swept away by a vicious storm. Because the decisions we make and the foundations on which we build have eternal implications. We make choices, and those choices turn around and make us. And those who build on sand one day will found, find their house, i.e., their life, destroyed. We must be careful how we build, what the foundation is for our life. Either there is a hell to be shunned or there isn't. If there isn't, then Jesus' entire credibility is shot because he talked more about hell than he did about heaven. So ends Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And Matthew adds a word about authority about Jesus teaching with authority. And I, I think that Matthew has in mind two things, the message and the manner. Jesus' message was totally different from anything they were hearing. The Pharisees and the Sadducees focused on the outward. How does it look? I have a list. I'll check my list. I'll do the things that are in the law. And people will see them and they will applaud. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. How, what we do outwardly as far as ministry and keeping commandments and instructions comes from within, comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ, comes as the Spirit of God moves us, comes from deep within us, inside us. What matters to God is our relationship with him. And how that manifests itself in our relationship with others from the heart. They were also amazed at the way he taught, the manner of his teaching. Revolutionary. The rabbis were learned people, wise men. They'd studied Jewish history. They knew the law. They knew the traditions. Most of their teaching was Simply quoting the experts. Listening to them was like listening to someone read an extended footnote. <laughs> they were listening to rabbis who, when they spoke, 
They gained their authority from the past. It would refer to the Old Testament laws and their traditions built on those laws and some previous rabbis teaching, but rabbis did not teach in the first person. I read one historian who said he couldn't find any reference in the ancient world or rabbi who spoke without making reference to somebody else or something else. Jesus spoke with authority. He interpreted and reapplied the law. When he promised, when he commanded, when he prohibited, he spoke with his own authority. People had never heard anything like that before. In the latter part of the last century, uh, there was a great preacher in Great Britain. His name was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. People came from all over to hear Spurgeon preach. And one day a man arrived, huffing and puffing, coming into the lobby. And he asked one of the ushers, is the sermon done yet? To which the usher said, no, it still has to be done. <laughs> Jesus and James would agree with that. We come to church, we come to worship, we come to sing songs of praise and worship, we come to hear the word of God preach. But it doesn't end here. This is the beginning. It must be acted upon in the marketplace, in the classroom, in the neighborhood, in our lives as we live out the week, and then we come back next week. And God speaks to us again and energizes us again by his spirit to live a life that is pleasing to him. After we hear the word of God, both James and Jesus would say, now you need to put it into your lives. You are building a life. And the foundation you choose is the most important feature of your life. Jesus said, those who hear my words and act on them, build wisely. Because after we hear the word of God, we have a responsibility to obey the word of God and to put it into our lives. A wise man or woman listens seriously, then directs his or her life according to Jesus' words. And if your foundation is sure, no storm will cause your life to collapse. Now, I know that <clears throat> everything has just started. Bible studies, region, you don't have any time. But I have an assignment for you. Yeah, maybe over Christmas, I don't know. Take a piece of paper. Read through the Sermon on the Mount. Imagine, if you can, that you were there listening to Jesus on that day. And then write a brief letter to a family member, to a friend, to your file. But in that letter, write about what Jesus said it meant to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, what it meant to be a beatitude believer, 
what it mean to be what it meant to be one who heard and acted on the Christian life. As I mentioned, Jesus understood that there were those in that crowd that day who were not true disciples. They had not bought into Jesus as the Messiah or the kingdom. They had not repented. They had not accepted who he was. So Jesus, in his last two messages, warns them. Strong warning. When Hurricane Camille entered the Gulf, it was headed toward the northwest. I got that right. But it was turning. It was changing course. Wind speeds were increasing and decreasing. And then a few hours before it hit the Gulf Coast of Mississippi, it turned from Louisiana and headed for Mississippi. There was adequate warning. People knew it was coming. They knew it was a Category 5. Most people left. Some didn't. Some stayed. We'll just, we'll just ride this out. And some of them lost their lives because they did not heed that warning. Jesus closes with a strong warning. He's challenging his leaders to consider their destiny. With, to listen with no plan to act. To read with no interest in responding is to miss the whole point of Jesus' great message on the mountain. <laughs> Divine truth isn't given to satisfy someone's eyes of curiosity, but to change lives. Not to lull people to sleep in church, but to equip them for today and for eternity. It begins with a relationship with the rock, Jesus Christ. And just like on that mountain, most of you I know, and I know that you are a follower of Jesus, but there may be some. You've never made that decision. You've never trusted in Christ who paid the penalty for your sin. As I was preparing for this uh, this morning and praying, I thought a verse popped into my mind, and you probably learned it when I learned it. I was, I don't know, about eight. For God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. God provided his son as a sacrifice for sin. Our response is to believe in that promise of God that when we come to Jesus and invite him into our lives, our sins are forgiven. We're on the path to eternity with him. I had a professor in seminary who once asked a question and then provided an observation. He asked, does Jesus have a favorite word? And we all, you know, theological students, came up with all sorts of crazy answers. He said, do you know what Jesus' favorite word is? It's come. It's come. Later in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. As John closes out the revelation of Jesus Christ at the end of our New Testament, 
Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. We read, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. I urge you this morning, if you've never made a decision to invite Jesus into your life, to come. To come. To make Jesus Christ the foundation for your life. Because it has a lifetime guarantee. Actually, it's an eternal guarantee because it's based on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Father, we are grateful for your word. We thank you, Father, for the truths that we have learned this summer. I pray, Lord God, that you will cause us to be men and women, boys and girls, who act on what we hear, who, when we hear the word taught, seek to act upon it for our good and for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May that be the passion of your heart. Christ the solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand and you'll take that rock message through those doors into your world and represent Jesus who is your rock and your redeemer Father thank you for this sermon thank you for its message may we live it out by the power of your spirit, again for your glory and for our good, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.